Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Christmas time is a really good time for giving and receiving of, of gifts, isn't it? I'm willing to bet that a number of you probably already have gifts under the tree, even right now. And if you don't have gifts under the tree right now, there's probably going to be some gifts showing up in the very near future as Christmas Eve comes around. The nice part about um, the giving and receiving of gifts is it's a really good thing to do in the Christmas season. I mean, even if you don't put gifts under the tree, chances are you give and receive gifts with those you love because When you give someone a gift, it's a way that you just show your appreciation and love to them. And when you receive a gift, it's a way you receive the appreciation and love that people have for you. So giving and receiving of gifts in the Christmas season is a a good thing. And I have especially good news for you this morning because today I have a gift for each one of you. I do. It's It's a custom gift. It's a unique gift specially made just for you. Now, it's not a junky gift that you're just going to wear out after one day of using, and it's not the kind of gift that you're going to give away next year in a white elephant gift exchange. The gift that I have for you is a great gift. In fact, the gift is the more you use this gift, the more you will like this gift. And the more blessing you will receive from this gift when you go ahead and use it. Now you're going to say, well, what gift are you talking about? I'll tell you about that gift that we have for you this morning in just a few minutes. But before I do that, let me just take a moment to welcome you, especially if you're somebody who's new, who's not a normal and regular attender here at Crosswinds. My name is Kurt, and I'm one of the pastors, and we have been um, teaching our way through the book of Ephesians as we've been doing a small Advent series in preparation for Christmas. In the first week of our series, we learned what God has done for us through Jesus, and that the Bible describes us literally as the most blessed beings in the entire universe. Did you realize that? That through Jesus Christ, you are the most blessed being in the universe throughout all of eternity? Now, when you look in the mirror, you may not like what you see. You may be frustrated with what you see. But when you look in the mirror, see what God sees. The most blessed being in the universe, not because of who you are, but because of who you are through what Jesus has done for you. The second week in our series we learn that we are the greatest contrast in the universe. Not only are we the most blessed being in the universe, but we didn't start in a spiritually neutral position. We started as God's literal enemies. The Bible describes us as literally dead in our sin. We were puppets of Satan. We were brute beasts, literally living for our fleshly desires, you know, money, sex, and power. But the amazing part is, when God raised his son from the dead physically, he raised us from the dead spiritually. He took us from spiritual death to spiritual life, making us the most blessed beings in the universe. I don't know if you realize this. For all of eternity, we have the best seat in the house. Or I should say, the best seat in the universe. We are literally sitting on Jesus' lap. We are sitting in Jesus' chair for all eternity. Remember, we're the most blessed beings in the universe because of Jesus. Now last week, as we, we moved from who we are because of Jesus and what God will do for us through Jesus in eternity to who we are because of Jesus in this life, here and now. And we discovered that God plans to use us in ways beyond what we could ever ask or imagine in this life. 
You see, God's plan is to make much of his son, Jesus Christ. God plans to do that, make much of his son through the church. And we are literally in Jesus, Paul says. And we are part of his church. God desires and plans to use you and me in ways beyond what we could ever ask or imagine for the glory of Christ and for the fame of his church in this life right now. That brings us to this week. This week, which is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16, and we discover that God doesn't just plan to use us in his church. Hey, Paul, we're ringing a lot. But he also um, specially gifts us and he empowers us in his church. That God has given each one of us a special spiritual gift. And he wants for each one of us to use it and enjoy it, all for God's fame and glory. Now, if you have your Bibles, please take them out. Turn with them, turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Stand out of reverence, please, as we read God's word. We're going to be reading Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. Beginning in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That ends the reading of God's word, and you may be seated. Now, this passage is really just about spiritual gifts and the gifts that God has given us. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to just work right through this passage. There's going to be seven points that we're going to have in our outline, seven points that it gives us on spiritual gifts. So let's begin on the top of your outlines if you're taking notes. Go ahead and follow along. The first thing we see here is that Christ gave each of us a spiritual gift. Let me go ahead and read the text. I'm going to begin in verse 4, even though the text we're looking at is in verse 7. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one baptism, or one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. To understand what's going on in verse 7, as you noted, I wanted to start us in verse 4 and sort of get a running start into that because in the uh, verses just prior to verse 7, what Paul is talking about is the unity of the church. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and then all of a sudden, after he says one God and Father of all, he says this word, but... 
to each one of us, grace has been given. You see, he moves from talking about the unity in the church to all of a sudden flipping and talking about the diversity in the church. Now, I have to admit, as you look at verse 7, it's going to be a little bit cloaked. It's a, it's a little difficult to understand, and you have to sort of really get behind the English a little bit and go into the Greek. When you get into the Greek, it's actually pretty clear. So I'll try and explain this a little bit to you. So follow along, and you'll actually see how this works. It says here that grace was given to each one of us. The word grace in Greek is the word charis. Now, here's what's interesting. If you go to your English translation of the Bible and you have the word, you see the English word spiritual gift, it's actually the Greek word charismata. And it's like the word grace with a modifier after it. So a spiritual gift is actually, by definition, just a special gift of God's grace. And what Paul does in verse 7, he just gives the definition for spiritual gift by spelling it out. A gift of special grace that was given to each one of us. Now, many translations just translate the English or the Greek directly over to the English, sort of like uh, our ESV does. And it you sort of don't get that sense of what is actually going on behind it. But if you go to a translation that's less literal, to a translation that's more of a paraphrase, that tries to translate across the concepts of what's happening, not the words for what's happening, you can see this very clearly. Like, how many of you have heard of the Living Bible? The New Living Translation. Yeah, that's a paraphrase translation trying to get the concepts of what's happening, not necessarily tightly the words. If you go to the New Living Translation, I put that in your notes here, they just spell this out. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. So that's what it's telling us. Each one of us has a special gift from Jesus. If you have experienced saving grace and you are a Christian, you have been also been given a special gift of serving grace from Christ to serve other Christians in his church. Every single Christian has been given a special supernatural gift from God to serve others in his church. You're a Christian, you have one. It may be undeveloped. It may be something that you're ignorant of as to what it is, but you definitely have one. Now, Paul, um, he continues the thought of these gifts that he has given to each one of us. And he answers two more questions, like who decided what gift you're going to get? And who decided how strong of a gift that you would get? He just answers that in the second part of verse 7. He says, where each one of us is given a gracious gift according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, Jesus, he's the one who decided what special gift he would give you that would enable you to serve others effectively in his church. He doesn't like his gift. He does. Well, anyway, Jesus is the one who decided what gift we would get. And he also decided how much of that gift we would get. It says here, literally, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ decided what gift you would have, and he decided how much of that gift you would receive. Now, I know some people would say, you know, I really don't like uh, my spiritual gift. I really wish I had a stronger gift. And here's my answer to it. Your gift is a gift. You don't have to have anything. 
Your gift is a gift given you from God out of his grace. And how much we have in the way of a gifted area, that's completely up to Jesus. Just be grateful for it and trust him that he gave us a certain gift. Now, can we develop our gifts and can we get stronger in our gifts? Of course we can. But each one of us has been given a gift from God and the special amount of that gift. Let me give you an example this way. On Thursday, uh, there was a home wrestling meet. And Cindy and I went to the home wrestling meet. You know, our kids aren't wrestling anymore, but we still love the sport. And we're watching these kids on the mat. And I leaned over and said to Cindy, you know, some kids are just so gifted. They're just athletically gifted. You know that everyone has to work and they have to improve and develop. But some kids just have those gifts, don't they? And other kids don't have those gifts. And God gave them those gifts. And you just be grateful for the gifts that are there. It's very similar to how it works with our spiritual gift. God chose what gift we will receive and how strong of a gift we will receive. Now, if you're um, still confused by this a little bit in verse 7, because I admit verse 7 is a little bit difficult to understand, just simply put our finger in the rest of the New Testament and trace it through, and we find this same theme being hit again and again in a variety of ways. These are in your notes. 1 Peter 4.10, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Varied, he gives us a variety of different gifts, he says. And here he says, once again, each one of us has received a gift. And the gift enables us to serve others. These are all the points we've just hit, except he throws something else in. If you're taking notes, I want you to circle the word steward. Stewards. When God gives you a gift which he has given to all of us who are Christians, we are responsible to him for how we use it and that we use it. Now, it continues. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Same thing all over again. We have gifts that are different and what, how does it go? According to the grace given to us. Some, is given, some are given gifts of stronger grace and others of lesser grace. But they're all given a gracious gift. And what should we do? Use them to serve other people. Or you go to 1 Corinthians twelve seven. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Each one of us, once again, has one of these gifts. Now, I know what your natural question is at this point. I'd like to figure out what my gift is. I'd like to discover how I can use this special gift that God has given me to serve others in the church. Because I'm, a, I'm responsible to use it, so what should I do with it? And how do I discover it? Well, at this point, many people like to get into this thing called spiritual gift tests. And you have all these charts and all these questions. And they're not necessarily bad, but let me just be honest with you. I'm not totally jazzed up on them. Because there's a much simpler way to discover what gift God has given you. And I'll give it to you. There's two simple steps. It's this. Number one. In the church, what do you find your heart passionate about? Ask yourself, in the church, what do you find your heart passionate about? If you read the Bible and you start, you love teaching and you love to see this learning and education, maybe God has given you a teaching gift. If you come in the church and you love to greet people and you love to make the uh, church a warm and welcoming place and you love your home to be a warm and welcoming place to have people over, you know, maybe that's because God's given you a gift of hospitality. You just lean into it. That's what you're passionate about. Or maybe you like kids. And you come on Wednesday night and you help teach in Awana. And you really enjoy being with the kids and, and sharing about Jesus with the kids. And 
all of a sudden you realize that maybe that's the area God has given you a special gift in, to work and teach children. So the first way to discover your gift is just simply ask, what are the passions of your heart that God has given you? The second way to discover your spiritual gift is this. Look for affirmation and fruit. Look for affirmation and fruit. Because when you're operating in your gifted area, you will see both of those things. You know, maybe say your gift appears to be um, teaching kids and you're involved in Awana. And you find that you're able to share with these kids the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you have kids right in your class placing their faith in, in Jesus. And parents are starting to come up to you and saying, well, thank you so much. You do such a great job with my child. And they just love being in, in Awana. And they love learning about Jesus. You see how God's giving you affirmation? And God's giving you fruit to help confirm your spiritual gift? So that's the simple way of how you discover your affirmation and your spiritual gift. Now, let's go ahead and continue in the text. We've learned that each one of us has a gift and each one of us needs to use a gift. And the text tells us this, our gifts come from the triumph of Christ. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. If you happen to have your Bible open, you'll notice that this particular uh, verse is double indented on both sides. That's because it's actually a quote. It's a quote from Psalm 68 that Paul imports here into the New Testament. And what he's trying to say is he says, the idea that we have spiritual gifts that we should use, it's a fulfillment of Psalm 68. Now, let me tell you what Psalm 68 is about. Psalm 68 is a request for God to display his great victory in the present like he did in the past with the exodus. In fact, when you look at Psalm 68, verse 8, it talks about God leaving Egypt and heading to Mount Sinai and the very earth shaking under his feet. When you go to verses 11 through 14 in that psalm, you find that it says kings fled from his very presence while his people slept peacefully and soundly in his midst. And then when you go to verses 16 through 17, you find that God decides to move headquarters, as it were, from Mount Sinai, where he gave Moses the Ten Commandments, to Mount Zion, which is where Jerusalem is located. And it talks about when uh, Jesus ascend, or when God ascends Mount Zion, there are thousands upon thousands with him. And he has, it says here, many uh, captives in his train. And at that point, he received gifts from men. Now, what Paul does is he looks at this psalm and he says, this psalm is about God's victory parade in the Old Testament times. And it's fulfilled in a parallel way with Jesus' victory parade in the New Testament times. Let me put it to you how this works. Instead of uh, Jesus marching in victory up to Mount Zion, because his home will be in Jerusalem, he marches in victory back to his father's right hand, which is his rightful place. Instead of there being a host of captives that are physical captives in his train, there is literally a host of spiritual captives in his train because Jesus, when he died on the cross and he rose from the dead, he conquered Satan and the fallen demonic powers. Spiritual victory. In fact, if you look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, this is what we find. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. How Jesus literally disarmed the rulers and authority. Now, 
Everything in this Psalm 68 seems to ring true in a parallel fashion to what God did through Jesus Christ, except for one small thing, which has resulted in a ton of theological ink being spilled. Psalm 68 says that God received gifts from men, but when Paul quotes it, he quotes it as God gave gifts to men. That seems like a little difference here. Now, I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on this because you could spend a ton of time trying to solve this problem, get your own PhD on it and trying to do that. But I can tell you that it's not actually that hard to solve. In the ancient world, when kings had a victory parade, they both received gifts from the people they conquered and they gave gifts to their subjects. Giving and receiving of gifts took place in these victory parades. Paul knows this. In fact, when you look at the uh, Aramaic Targums that are written at this time, and you look at the Syriac translation of Psalm 68, both of those say that God gave gifts to men, not just received gifts from men. So Paul knows that contextually, this refers to the giving and receiving of gifts. And here's where it gets interesting. You, we all know this is ultimately fulfilled by Jesus pouring out the Holy Spirit on his people, right? Because these are spiritual gifts. We go to Acts. What do we find? Prepare to circle these things in your notes. Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, circle received. Notice that? He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Circle poured out. You see the giving and receiving of gifts both take place. So Paul's not out of step with what it was said and prophesied with fulfilled in the Old Testament. Now he continues and he says this. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Paul just sort of pauses at this moment and he is just in, just captivated with the idea that Jesus Christ took on flesh and now he's ascended again to the Father. And I want to unpack this and help you to comprehend this. Understand who Jesus Christ is. We think of him at Christmas time as just a baby in the manger. He's so much more than that. We go to Hebrews chapter 1. We learn that Jesus Christ is the one who fashioned every single thing in the universe. God the Father planned creation. It was Jesus Christ who carried out creation. Every single plant, every single bird, every single drop of water, every tree, every animal, Everything on the earth and in the planets in the sky were hand-fashioned and made by hand by Jesus. That's who he is. But God the Father's plan was not just to fashion creation. God the Father's plan was also to save us from our sin in creation. And his plan was the one that had fashioned everything, would humble himself use himself permanently and irrevocably in the womb of Mary with a human body and to be born in Bethlehem. And it says to be made like us in every single way, which means that even though he is still fully God and has all the power and attributes of God, the Bible tells us he gave up the independent exercise of those attributes to limit himself so he could be like us in every single way. 
So Jesus, as a human being, understood what it was like to be tired. He understood what it was like to sweat. He understood what it was like to have a long day and be exhausted at work. Jesus understood what it was like to do the hard work of trying to memorize something and learn something just like a human being. This is what it means when he descended. But not only did he descend to take on a human body and identify us with us in every way, but the Bible tells us he descended to the point of death. Literally becoming sin for us. Dying in our place for our sin, not using his divinity to insulate himself in any way, to experience being made sin and to experience all of God's wrath in his humanity. That's what he did for us. But he also ascended back up to the right hand of God the Father. Now, let me go ahead and read this for you, because Paul just details this out more in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, out of excitement. He said, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, that means he was 100% God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't hold on to his rights. But he emptied himself of those rights by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. In being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why is this so exciting? It seems like Jesus is just going back to where he was before. Why is Paul so jazzed about this? It is because Jesus now has a human body forever, a resurrected human body. But a human being has now been put in the highest place of the universe. That human being is Jesus Christ. You see why this is so exciting? This is amazing. So, the gifts we have are because of the amazing triumph of Jesus Christ. Now, he continues. He talks about these gifts. And the point is this. God gave spiritual leaders as a gift to his church. Paul jumps in and says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And what Paul does is he gives us five different uh, supernaturally, spiritually gifted people that God has given them one of some of those gifts to in the church. They're gifts to the church. And actually, if you look at these, they break apart into two groups. The first group is the group of the apostles and the prophets. The apostles and the prophets had a very foundational gift for the church. By the way, if you're taking notes and you'd like to put this kind of geeky stuff down, if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, and Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5, you discover that the apostles he's talking about here are the original apostles, the, the 12 apostles that he is talking about. What he's saying here is these apostles have a foundational gift, and they're men who have the foundational gift to the church. And by the way, the prophets, they're also talked about. Acts eleven twenty seven. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and they are working with the apostles. What the apostles and the prophets do is they provide the foundation of the church because the apostles provide eyewitness testimony to Jesus Christ and what the truth is about him. Now here's what happens. 
The problem is that all the apostles die. So they no longer exist. So like their foundational testimony doesn't seem to exist anymore, but actually it does. It's called your New Testament. Every single book in your New Testament was either written by an apostle or by somebody who was closely associated with an apostle. So their foundational witness to what is the truth about Jesus Christ continues even today. That is why we are always saying here at Crosswinds, keep your finger in the text. It's the foundational witness of the apostles. It tells you the truth about Jesus Christ. But he also talks about these gifts to the church. Men who've been gifted by God to be evangelists, pastors, and teachers. While the apostles and the prophets laid the foundation of the church and their role came to an end, but it still carried on in the New Testament, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, their role continues in the church today. It's a continual work. And those who are pastors and teachers and evangelists, if they're doing their job well, they should always be reaching back to the foundational work of the apostles and prophets, right? Always going back to the text. This is what we know is the truth about Jesus Christ. Now, what do those who have the gift of evangelism look like today? I think the answer is very simple. They are especially gifted at making the gospel clear. And when they share the gospel, people place their faith in Jesus. An example of somebody who has one of these gifts is Billy Graham. He just has the gift of an evangelist. He didn't ask for that gift. Jesus is the one who chose to give him that gift. Jesus chose to give him a very powerful amount of that gift. And when he uses his gift, he had fruit, didn't he? And there was all kinds of affirmation of that fruit. Now, the other gift that, or the other gifts, I should say, that uh, God has given to his church, that is important for his church, are those who are the pastors and teachers. Now, these are actually two different gifts, but oftentimes they, they go together, so I've coupled them together. But let me just explain this. A pastor is somebody who is gifted to shepherd God's people. Shepherding involves encouraging God's people. Sometimes it means correcting God's people. Oftentimes a shepherd would have to protect the sheep. So those with a gift of shepherding has to protect God's people. Those with the gift of teaching, that God has given them that gift, they have a gift for reading God's word, being able to study it, understand it, apply it, and bring it to the people so they are matured in Jesus Christ. Now, oftentimes, the gift of pastoring and teaching, they go together, but not all the time. Let's face it, I can tell you, I know people who are incredible pastors. They can cry with the best of them, and they genuinely love people, but they're terrible teachers. I also know other people who are gifted, highly intellectual, very smart teachers and who write wonderful books, but you wouldn't want to be pastored by them. They don't have that side of the gift. But either way, you need to understand that just like those who were gifted by God to be apostles and prophets, God also sets aside and gifts certain men with the gifts of evangelism, pastoring, and teaching and they are gifts to his church for the edification of his body. Now, let us flip to the other side. Here's what the pastors and teachers should be doing. Spiritual leaders should equip the people of the church for the ministry of the church. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12. This is what they are to be doing, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Pastors and teachers exist to serve the people of the church, 
the people of the church don't exist to serve the pastors of the church. The pastors and teachers of a church should be laboring and working to produce spiritual maturity in the people of the church. They should be working to help people unleash and to use the gifts that God has given them. Pastors and teachers should not be stifling other people's gifts. They should be helping them identify and use other people's gifts. This is the way God has planned it in the church. And when you realize that, it changes your model for how you think church works. Some people think the church is like a pyramid. You know, the pastor is on the top and everybody else is below, and he's the CEO and barks out all the orders. That's not the biblical model. Other people think the church is like a bus, where the pastor does all the driving and everyone else just goes along for the ride. That's also not the biblical model. Remember, God has given each one of us a special and unique gift, which is essential for the body of Christ. So the pastor's jobs are to help us mature in Christ and to help us get involved using our gifts for Christ. In fact, the proper model of the church comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and this is what it is. It's called the body. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Pastors and teachers, their job is to help us stay connected to the head of the church. And each one of us is a part of the body. And by the way, you probably noticed that all parts of your body are important. Anybody have a part of their body they'd like to get rid of right now? I don't think so. Well, some parts of the body are more prominent than others, like your nose. I mean, everybody's looking at the nose today. I see all of your noses. Other parts of the body are less prominent, like your little toe. But no one would want to lose it. It's an essential part of the body. And in a similar way, God has given each one of us gifts to be used in serving others in the church. Some of those are more prominent gifts, like a nose. Some of those are less prominent gifts, like a toe. But every single one is essential for building up the body. And a pastor's job is to get people using their gifts. Number five, when everyone uses their gifts, the church will be healthy and the people become more like Christ. If you're taking notes, there are three words I'd like you to circle in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. And they are these words. Circle the word unity, circle the word knowledge, and circle the word mature. Let's read this. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When everyone is using their gifts in the church, the first thing we find is it creates unity in the church. When people are not using their gifts, you find disunity in the church. In fact, I can tell you that most of the people who I find are heretics, who are errors, who are sort of the, the nutcases out there. You look at them and you'll find that they are not actively involved in a church. They are not using their gifts to serve others in the church. They're over here in isolation mode. And they're the ones who create disunity. The other thing is knowledge. The fastest way for you and me to grow in understanding who Jesus Christ is, simply to get involved using your gift. You can't help but grow as you're serving others. Think of it this way. If you are, even if you're busy in Awana, just helping the kids learn their memory verses. And I've had people say this to me. You know, I, I, I knew those verses when I was a kid, but now that I'm going over them again with the kids in Awana, I'm just learning and growing like the kids are. And the other thing that happens is this, maturity. 
You see, knowledge is one thing about Christ, but maturity is actually beginning to act and to live like Christ. The fastest way for us to not just get knowledge, but to be spiritually mature is for us to get actively involved using our gift from God, serving others in the church will produce spiritual maturity in our life. Just to be real honest, people who choose to say, I will just attend a church, but I will not choose to get involved using my gift serving in the church, they end up living in spiritual diapers and pull-ups into their adult days. It's true. Spiritual maturity happens when you use your gift. You have to ask yourself, do I want to get out of pull-ups? Do I want to be a full-blown, mature, spiritual adult? If I do, then find my gift and use my gift and serve. Number six, when we use our gifts, we're protected from the spiritual nutcases. Ephesians 4.14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by human cunning, by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. One of the problems of not using our gifts is we end up as perpetual spiritual children. Children are vulnerable. Children cannot defend themselves from attack. And the honest truth is there's a bunch of spiritual nut jobs out there who would love to deceive you and take you away from Jesus Christ. And if you're not serving and maturing, you're very vulnerable to those things and can be quickly taken away. I'll give you an example. As I was studying this week, I thought about a time about 11, 12 years ago. I was preaching during a Christmas series, and there was a college girl that was home, and she was not actively involved in her church at college. She had sort of disconnected from walking with Christ, real, real distant from Jesus. She came up to me after the service, and she said this. She talked to me with a real panicked look in her face. She said, have you read the Da Vinci Code? Um, and at that time, I was like, this is over a decade ago. My aunt, no, what's it about? And she started into this whole thing with, well, you know, I didn't know there were these extra gospels and that there was a coup to try and make sure they weren't in our Bible. And she into all this, and she was really spiritually confused. I mean, she was having a hard time with her faith. But that summer, things changed. That summer, she decided she was going to get involved in a local Christian camp. And she was going to serve as a counselor that summer. She began serving. She began using her gifts of care and nurture. And what happened is all of a sudden, she grew by leaps and bounds. In the community, she asked her questions and they wrestled with her questions on the Da Vinci Code. And she got proper knowledge about Christ and proper knowledge about her Bible. She grew spiritually mature. And I remember seeing her about six to nine months later, and I said, well, whatever happened with the Da Vinci Code? She said, oh, that, I learned the truth. Trust me, I'm not even concerned about that anymore. Because she used her gifts of serving others in the church and matured right beyond the spiritual nut jobs that wanted to lead her astray. Same is true for you and for me. Using our gifts protects us. Last point. When the truth of God's word is spoken in love and people use their gifts, the church grows strong in Christ. Rather, speaking the truth in love, he says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Today, if you go to the bookstore and you look up church growth, there's all kinds of books out there on church growth and how to grow a church. 
But I want you to know what you just read is God's word on how to have church growth take place. It's really simple. Number one, you need to be in a church where the truth is spoken in love. In other words, they're connected back to the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the pastors and teachers are keeping their finger in the text. And the truth is spoken. But it's spoken in love. And number two, what does he say? That everyone in the body is using their gift. When everyone is in the body is using their gift, the people grow, mature in Christ, and the church grows. That's the secret of church growth. In every church and in Crosswinds Church. That every single person would use their gift for the honor and the glory of Christ. And when I began talking about, I have a gift, a special gift for you, a unique gift for you, custom designed for you, you were thinking about something that would be under it, a tree that you could hold in your hands. But the gift I have is not a gift I made. It's a gift that God made and he gave to you. He desperately wants each of you, if you know him, to use it. It is the secret of your spiritual health and your spiritual growth and the health of the church that you are a part of. We would find, discover, and use our God-given gifts. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, this is a rich passage about gifts, but it's a good passage that challenges us that we should not be spiritual spectators, that really content ourselves to attend a church. It challenges us to get involved using the gifts that you have given us to serve others. And when we do that, we find that we are being used in ways beyond what we could ever ask or imagine for your kingdom. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.